He's amused Cam Newton. Just ask that question one more time. He's been insulted by Charles Barkley. When some idiot in the press asked him, if you know what you know now, what you have scheduled this game? He's interviewed Matthew McConaughey. I do say go Tarion. And he's taken on Big Blue Nation. I see, he's just completely taken the wind out of my sails. <laughs> it's time for The Drive with Josh Graham. Welcome to a Thursday Drive where it's been quite the 24 hours for Wake Forest Athletics. Shout out to Coach Llewellyn's women's golf program. Advancing to the NCAA championship. Tough news for the women's basketball program, and more specifically, head coach Jen Hoover, ominously relieved of her duties as head coach last night, right after we went on the air. Connor O'Neill will be in studio with us. We'll discuss that with him later on this hour. Wake Baseball got a win yesterday, and Steve Forbes, he got another one last night. K-State seven-footer Davion Bradford, the latest transfer to join the Demon Deacons, and in the span of three weeks... Wake's roster has almost completely taken shape. They have no doubt some big holes to fill, but the way Forbes is deciding to attack the issue or attack those holes with two players apiece. There are three major holes Wake Forest is looking to fill, and Forbes is attaching two different players to each of those holes and hoping one emerges and takes over the position. Let's start with the most obvious one, Alondis Williams. It's hard to replace the ACC Player of the Year. But then again, at about this time a year ago, Wake found Alondis, who averaged six or so points a game for the Sooners, and turned him into a guy who led the ACC in points and assists, something that had never been done in the history of the week before. To replace Alondis, you've got two transfers named Jawatuka and Tyrell Appleby. Ituka averaged 15-plus points a game at Marist. Appleby, a bit older, played two years at Cleveland State, two at the University of Florida, averaged double-figure points in every single one of his college seasons. He's the more experienced hand, but Zhao's the more intriguing prospect. When you look at some of the things he was doing, I think I read he was top five in the nation in usage rate. So if you're bringing in somebody to be comfortable carrying a heavy load like Alondis did last year, doing everything, well, Jow might be the best fit to do that. And he's got several years remaining in eligibility. Here's the problem, though. Both those guys are six foot one. Alondis was a six five point guard. In addition to being a great assist man and the leading scorer in the league, he was also top 10 in the league in rebounding. I don't think you're going to get that from these two 6-1 guards. Could be wrong, but I don't think that's going to be the case. The rebounding's going to have to come elsewhere. So that's how they plan to fill the point guard spot. Then we announced, as we mentioned a second ago, Davion Bradford, K-State transfer, 7-footer. You bring him in as one of the two guys to help replace 7-footer Dallas Walton. Matthew Marsh is the other one. And you might be thinking, Josh, wasn't he already on the roster? Yeah. He was, but he dealt with a lot of injuries last year. We never really got to see either of these guys completely healthy a year ago. So it's easy to look at Bradford's three and a half points a game at K-State last year and think, he doesn't have it. How's he going to replace Dallas Walton, who was really good a year ago? Go to his freshman year, though. His first season at K-State, 
he averaged seven and a half points per game. And that was his first season in college basketball. And now he's a couple years older. This is a note I got from a good friend of mine that covers K-State, travels with K-State, knows Davion Bradford really well, who said, quote, Davion had a great freshman year and looked well on his way to a great career. Rim protector, soft hands, great finisher at the rim. He got COVID, though, in the offseason, and then pneumonia, which put a lot of extra weight on him. Struggled early because of it, pouted, became disengaged, and was basically unplayable most of last year. Looked like he had slimmed down in the commitment video I saw yesterday, though. That's a pretty good sign. There's a lot of potential there. Struggles with his confidence. But those are the types of guys that Forbes looks at and says, I can build confidence. Do you have talent? Do you have something I can take and and bring out of you? And Davion has that. So he seems to be a promising player. Matthew Marsh. I know Forbes is really excited about what he can bring. He might be an, an untapped gem, a uncut gem, if you will, in the ACC this year. An uncovered promising player that didn't blossom last year because of injury that steps in. Both those guys are seven foot. So both of those players will be tasked with replacing Dallas Walton. Then there's Jake LaRavia, who hasn't exactly said that he's leaving yet. But if you're Wake Forest, you have to prepare as if he is. When he's projected to be a first-round draft pick or a draft pick altogether, even if it's not the first round, you got to think he's going to go. Especially when his teammates, Zay Musius, he's not going to get drafted. Dallas Walton, he's not going to get drafted. They decided to keep their names in the draft. So if LaRavia leaves, what are you left with? Two names. Andrew Carr, six foot nine, two ten, really similar build to Jake LaRavia, who was six foot eight, a stretch four type, and Zach Keller who was a highly recruited player out of Colorado. I know other teams of the ACC were hotly after him. And Wake Forest gets him. He's been enrolled since January. Also, six foot nine, looks like he's going to be a wing stretch four type. Just like Jake LaRavia was. I don't know if any of these guys are going to be all ACC players like Alondis and Jake were, but Forbes is playing the numbers game a bit. I'm going to throw two guys at that position who have opportunities to potentially emerge, just like Alondis did it, just like LaRavia did, and we'll see what happens. And they're doing the same thing with Dallas Walton as well. If you get LaRavia back, great. I think they're going to get Davian Williamson back, but we're still waiting on that official announcement. But a big plus to the way that Wake's building their roster, this is a big plus, Appleby is the only one of these players that I've mentioned who has one year of eligibility remaining which means all the other guys have multiple years. So Forbes is going into the portal and still remaining younger, which a lot of teams aren't doing. On Twitter, at WSGS Sports, if you want in on today's show, 336-777-1600 is the phone number. Save that phone number because later this hour, we're giving away another four-pack of tickets, a pair to see Rodney Atkins a week from today, and Ricky Skaggs eight days from now as the Winston-Salem Fairgrounds Indoor Concert Series begins at the Fairgrounds Annex Theater. This is what you're listening for to win that four-pack of tickets. Just when I thought it couldn't get no hotter, I of the farmer's daughter. Give me another Rodney Atkins song tomorrow. 
I'll work on that. We've established that there are more Rodney Atkins songs. You also watched Anchorman last night. Yes, I did. We're going to get your full review of Anchorman. You watch that for the first time at the movies at 4.30. Shifting to the NBA. I really thought last night was going to be the official arrival of Jason Tatum as a, quote, top five guy. And in the third quarter, it looked like that was going to be the case. He was well on his way to 30 points, and Boston was up by 14. Then the game flipped, and a different message was sent. And the message was this. Giannis is the best player in the NBA. It's his league, and that's not going to change anytime soon. And I think that needs to be expressed more loudly in some places because there's this strange perception that last year's title was a fluke. And I completely disagree with it. But it's strange the way people talk about it. Yeah, the Lakers were down last year. AD was dealing with injuries, and LeBron was also a bit banged up. They would have won the title if they were healthy. The Nets, if Kyrie wasn't hurt, if James Harden wasn't dealing with an injury, if KD's foot was one more inch behind the three-point line rather than stepping on it, then Milwaukee's going home. Brooklyn was really the best team. Golden State, they didn't have Clay last year, so they had to play Phoenix, which is a favorable team to play. They hadn't been to the title or to the NBA Finals since 93. Yeah, you won the title, but eh, you caught a lot of breaks too. That's the way that people talk about that Milwaukee championship. Last night, and really this entire playoffs, Giannis has left no doubt that he's the best player in the league. He won back-to-back MVPs, but now he's gotten to the point where, you know, he's too good for the MVP. The same way Coach K was too good for Coach of the Year, hadn't won Coach of the Year since the year 2000, Giannis can't give it to him every year. It's like the LeBron class. Go back and look at 2018 when James Harden won it. You just look at LeBron's stat. Well, why didn't we give it to this guy? Well, we'd give it to LeBron every year if we had that logic. He had 40 points last night. He had a cut on his eye. Looked like a superhero movie, like the Avengers And he's flying in there, grabbing rebounds, blocking shots, leading Milwaukee from behind, and doing so without an all-star in Chris Middleton against a team that I think is better than they are in Boston. And here they are now in the driver's seat again to win the Eastern Conference. Boston, they're not going to win twice in a row, especially going to Deer Park or whatever they call it tomorrow in Milwaukee. They're better than Miami, too. Even without Middleton, I think they beat Miami. Miami's not going to have Kyle Lowry tonight, by the way. And they should get Middleton back. That's going to give them a lift, too. That was the message to take away from Milwaukee's win last night. They are the favorites in the East. They still are the champs from last year. They plan to defend that title. And Giannis, this is his league. He's looking straight at LeBron, even though LeBron's not in the playoffs and watching from home. And he's doing the the Captain Phillips, I'm the captain now. I'm the captain now. You haven't seen that movie, have you, Will? I'm not even, you already know the answer to that. Right. That might be on the 56th or 57th edition of At The Movies, episode one of At The Movies with Anchorman later on in today's show. Microphone. Check, check. All right, ready? Here we go again. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. It was really bizarre 
seeing that Jen Hoover was fired yesterday as Wake's women's basketball coach. Connor O'Neill will be in studio with us from Deacon Illustrated in 15 minutes. Maybe he can tell us what exactly happened there, fill in some of those blanks for us. But right now I'm being told our next guest, literally standing on the beach right now in Amelia Island, Florida, site of ACC Spring Meetings. It's Andrew Carter joining us from the Raleigh NNO, read his stuff, newsobserver.com. Andrew, there are a lot of things I want to talk about with you. Let me start with the issue closest to home here. I read Jim Phillips' comment a couple days ago saying that they will have a resolution on Greensboro in three to four weeks when it comes to ACC headquarters, but I thought this was supposed to be done by the end of last year. And your colleague, Luke DeCock, reported a month ago, it's Orlando, it's Charlotte, or Greensboro, and it'll be done no later than the end of April. What exactly has been the hang-up? I mean, I don't know. know, I'm not sure if I can answer that specific one. I mean, I think there's, you know, probably a few factors uh, in talking with some folks. I mean, I think one, I think Greensboro has made it really difficult for the ACC, which might please customers of their program, I think. Nancy Vaughn, the mayor of Greensboro, was actually – uh, here in Amelia Island, or is it in or on? I never know which one to say. Um, you know, but basically she said just that, that the longer this thing goes, uh, kind of the better the ACC feels about it. So I think that's one thing. I think, you know, too, when you're spending a lot of money on consultants, you know, I think there's this uh, sort of idea that you kind of have to get your money's worth kind of thing. And, you know, I never bought seriously that the ACC would actually consider uh, Florida, you know, Orlando. I thought that was kind of uh, maybe not a red herring, but just something, again, kind of doing your due diligence, quote unquote, and getting your money's worth out of the, out of the consultants. But again, I think Greensboro has made it hard on the ACC to leave. And, you know, obviously the other finalist, Charlotte, you know, that's always been kind of the obvious choice for a lot of folks if the ACC were to ever leave. It seems like Charlotte would be the likely destination. And I think the ACC is kind of really struggling with this decision. Um, you know, again, to me, the longer this thing stretches out, as I wrote today in a thing that just posted uh, actually earlier this afternoon, you know, I think the better it votes for Greensboro. I think this is a good thing for uh, what's been the home of the ACC since 1953. So you said that Mayor Vaughn is down there. Did you get a chance to speak with her? Did not get to speak with her on the record. Got to speak with her a little bit kind of casually, not not for print or publication. But, um, you know, I, again, I mean, I, you know, the ACC, and you know this, Josh, and your folks there listening know that, you know, the history has been there basically since the league was founded. The league was founded right there at Sedgefield. Uh, you know, I get the impression that the ACC feels, uh, you know, a, obviously a strong connection to that city and Greensboro certainly feels like it's done a great job with its presentation and, and making a really strong case for why the league headquarters should remain there. I mean, it, it means something different in Greensboro. There, there is those roots. There are those roots. There's that connection. There's that history. There's that relationship that goes back decades and decades. You know, there's countless moments and memories that have happened right there in the Greensboro Coliseum, you know, in the ACC tournament over the years. And you have that bond uh, between the ACC and that city that you don't have in other cities. It never made sense in Florida. You know, that was never going to happen. You have to have 10 votes uh, in favor of moving. 
You know, 10 of the 14 chancellors and presidents in the ACC were never going to approve of a move to Orlando. Uh, you know, so the question now is Charlotte or Greensboro. If it does stay in Greensboro, you know, the city's going to give them some nice office space, it sounds like. It's going to not be out there near the Grand Over. It sounds like it's going to be in a location, if it does come to pass, uh, you know, it may be a more desirable part of town, perhaps downtown Greensboro, which has undergone a lot of revitalization and you know, a lot more going on down there than maybe there used to be. Um, but to reiterate, you know, to me, you know, the longer this stretches out, I think the more likely it becomes that it stays. You know, how likely that is, I don't know. I think Charlotte, you know, has always been probably the most likely outcome in this whole thing. But you know, I think Greensboro again has just made it really, really tough on the ACC to leave. Andrew Carter, NewsObserver.com. You could read his stuff. He's on Twitter at underscore Andrew Carter. The most noteworthy quote that I read this week came from Mike Bray, who essentially just said, well, there's people who say shut up and dribble. He essentially said shut up and coach people who dribble Where when it comes to NIL, uh, saying that coaches have adjusted to rules over time, over decades, and now we get paid a handsome salary to – figure things out, and we need to adjust accordingly. I just need to know how many coaches that you spoke with agree with Mike Bray's sentiment. I mean, I, th- I think all of them will say that they do. You know, the question for me is, like, legitimately, <laughs> how many of them actually uh, believe it? And God bless Mike Bray, by the way. You know, he gave us 30 minutes. You know, this event has changed so much over the years. It used to be – you know, not to say it's still not this way to an extent, but it used to be a lot more casual. I think coaches and ADs used to be a lot more willing to you know, share their thoughts and speak. And, you know, it was kind of amazing. Some of the, uh, you know, the sprint some of the coaches made out of their meeting rooms uh, at the conclusion of some of these meetings to, to get out of there, not, not stop and talk with reporters. And Bray you know, he gave us 30 minutes. He was candid. He was honest about his thoughts. Um, and, you know, he really believes it. You know, how many other coaches really authentically believe that sentiment? I don't know. I think I think you have, you know, almost a divide of old school versus new. I think some of the older coaches are really kind of struggling with this you know, current environment, current landscape, um, because they're losing control, and it's different. And this is a different game nowadays than, than what a lot of coaches are used to. And I think it does take some time to adjust to that. And credit to Mike Bray for really kind of getting it and understanding that, hey, like, this is where we're at. You know, college athletics is not going backward in terms of the NIL stuff. It's not like uh, the NCAA is going to just, you know, come out with with some sort of ruling that says, hey, we're going back to to what it was before last July. Uh, Obviously, that's not happening. It is kind of a free-for-all these days. I I do think, you know, somehow there needs to be some sort of, uh, you know, guidelines to it to kind of make it, makes sense in some respects, but, but a lot of the stuff is here to stay uh, and you adjust or, or you kind of go extinct as they say. And I think Mike Ray really understands that. I think it's, it's taken a while for some other coaches to, to get that reality. Andrew Carter from the NNL joining us from a beach on Amelia Island in Amelia Island on Amelia Island. You get the difference. Uh, so everybody, <laughs> it's funny. So one of the primary agenda items we've known for months is going to be divisions and whether or not to get rid of them. And I hear all these arguments. We had Dave Dorn on the show last week. I've read some comments from Dave Clawson and, and others. Everybody's saying we need to get rid of divisions. Is there a sound argument against eliminating them at this point? Why is it this already a done deal, or do you believe it is? 
I thought it was a done deal on Tuesday. You know, we talked with, with several coaches, uh, Radakovich, the AD at, um, or Radakovich, I should say, you know, Dan Radakovich, the AD at Miami, formerly at Clemson, Georgia Tech, indicated pretty much that, that it was on the verge of happening. I mean, you know, I wrote a story basically saying as much, that it really appears like this is going to happen. You know, wave goodbye to the Atlantic and Coastal Divisions. Um, it does seem like momentum behind that idea has slowed a little bit. I'm not saying that it's not going to happen, but I think, you know, perhaps some folks have raised some concerns uh, or, or maybe slowed down uh, the process. Well, that's what I'm interested in right there. What you were just thinking on the top of your head right there. What is I'm just fascinated. What is something that could hold it up at this point? I feel like after 2020, when Notre Dame and Clemson both got in when they eliminated divisions, that eliminated any argument for it. But what's one that you hear at this point? You know, what the impression that you get is that folks in the coastal do not want to get rid of divisions. Uh, you know, and, you know, you laugh and, and you know, NC State fans and folks uh, with a stake in the Atlantic division will laugh at that and say, well, sure, because, you know, our teams have to play Clemson every year. Uh, and you guys have to play Clemson much less often. So, of course, you're not going to want to switch it up. And, you know, obviously every school has won the coastal within the past decade. Whereas the Atlantic has been dominated by Florida State at first, by Clemson, obviously, much more recently. Wake Forest obviously snuck in there last year, but it's been a much more one-sided state of affairs in the Atlantic. And so, you know, the folks on the coastal like kind of the way it is, uh, you know, and I get the sense that that's really one of the hang-ups. You know, I talked with Bubba Cunningham today, the AD at North Carolina. Uh, like his coach, Mac Brown, he favors the divisional format. Not surprising. Uh, Bubba told me basically – you know, he would be in favor of a nine-game conference schedule as opposed to eliminating divisions. I think there may be some slight momentum behind that idea. You know, as opposed to eliminating divisions, maybe you consider a nine-game conference schedule, which would help solve a bit of that issue of not having teams face each other as often as you would like them to face each other. Uh, in the end, I still think that divisions eventually are going to be eliminated. Um, you know, but as Commissioner Phillips said uh, you know, yesterday, there's no real rush to do this this wouldn't go into effect until 2023 it's not like they had to have this done this week uh and so there's kind of a sense of let's take our time let's figure it out do our diligence on these three permanent partners you know really try to get to the bottom of this and make sure this is what we want to do support the journalism this guy does on twitter at underscore andrew carter from amelia island in florida side of acc spring meetings doing great work and producing a ton of uh content newsobserver.com. You can read his stuff. Andrew, always appreciate the time. Enjoy the beach, my friend. Thank you, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. I got one word for him and one word only. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Connor O'Neill. From Deacon Illustrated in studio with us. As we try to put the puzzle pieces together, I love a good mystery novel. How about we try to figure out why Jen Hoover got fired yesterday as Wake Forest women's basketball coach? Because the most infuriating part about yesterday, when it happened, it was surprising and it didn't make a lot of sense. Then John Curry spoke to the media for 20 minutes 
And I became very frustrated because it didn't answer any of the questions I really had about this. And now I just have a lot more questions and I don't have a lot of clarity. That's where I stand right now. Usually when an athletics director talks for 20 minutes, you get answers and don't come away with more questions. Yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be like, you know, sometime uh, sometime tomorrow night I'll be peeling an onion. I think we're going to do tacos at the house and uh, figuring out why Jen Hoover was fired is like peeling off an onion and, and peeling back the layers and trying to unravel what happened here because their season ended uh, now 52 days ago. Uh-huh. If this was about wins and losses, then why wasn't a move made, you know, 45 days ago, 40 Which days ago? Which was the question that you asked John Curry yesterday. This is John Curry on his answer to Connor's question. Why not just do this back in March? Why do this in May? There's no issue of any propriety or anything like that. So don't even, don't even think uh, to go in that direction. Really, the... Uh, the conversations that we've had over the last month um, about the program and then the fact that we've had um, really a complete turnover in our coaching staff um, was, uh, was is part of what leads us to, to this point today. Impropriety, not that. Okay. So are you the kind of person that when somebody tells you not to do something, you only want to do that one thing? Because <laughs> <laughs> I am one of those people. I mean, I might be I might be channeling too much of like the Friday and Saturday night undergrad days, but like if you tell me not to do something, there's a 90% chance that I'm at least going to try to do it. Right. So when he says it's not impropriety, well, I didn't say it was impropriety, John. Yeah. What are you trying to say here? Staff continuity. That'll do it. Wake Forest has been to two NCAA tournaments ever in women's basketball. Jen Hoover is a player in 88. Jen Hoover is a coach last year, and a year later, she's gone because one of her assistants took a job at William & Mary and another assistant followed her. There well, you go. And the other moved back to Australia. Who was there for how long? I think a year. I need to, I need to double check. Not but, long. Yeah. Okay. So that's the reason why. A lot of issues in college sports, we can agree. NIL. Guys, this play by uh, pay for play, the constitution of the NCAA literally being rewritten, divisions, revenue problems, all this, and the final straw in making sure we get rid of the women's basketball coaches that some coach has been there a little while, decides to go back to Australia, make it make sense. Here's the thing. I know folks like John Curry and folks at Wake Forest do not like when guys like us speculate on things, they don't like it. But since Curry isn't making it make sense, it opens the door for us to speculate. That's why we speculate, because none of this makes sense. So speculate I shall. And the part that I'm really wrestling with is those rooms at the Ritz in Amelia Island cost $1,300 a night. <laughs> So we're going to fly Jen Hoover down to these meetings, have her go to these ACC meetings. That's what John said yesterday in the press conference. And then after she's done with all this work and meeting with ACC women's basketball coaches, her fellow coaches, 
That's when John Curry says, by the way, pink slip. Which pokes all the holes in the theory of, okay, maybe her contract just had a buyout clause kick in and you're saving money by waiting until May 11th to make this move. So if you're if you're trying to penny pinch that to that extent, then why are you bringing her to Florida? What well, the that math doesn't add up to me. And that was brought up to John Curry, and this is how John responded. In the reality, there's a, there's never a good time, and um, and once a decision has been made, um, the right thing to do for all the people involved is is to go ahead and and, and move forward with that decision. Um, my number one priority was that that we tell her in a way that enabled her to, to share the news with, with her family uh, and then enabled us to speak with our team um, and then and then move forward. Um, so there, there's never a good time. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly, um, uh, you know, if we could have a different way to have a different time, we'd have a different time. But it, but it was what it was. And this was the appropriate uh, and best way. Not even that makes sense. Hey, the best way to tell your family and to tell your players is while you're here in Amelia Island, Florida. You couldn't wait till today? We're How about when we're back in Winston? I can tell my family, you know, face-to-face. Or tell the team, face-to-face. No, we made that decision. So if I'm going to speculate here, something I think happened this week. Yeah. I don't know what. Maybe you could do the onion peeling back thing. It's the only thing that makes sense. Because you do those end-of-year reviews. And if it was wins and losses, you would have done it in March. And you might be thinking, well, Josh, maybe, maybe they wanted to prevent players from transferring out after the fact because you got that end of April. If you want to be a one-time transfer, you have to get in under that deadline. Oh, wait, unless there's a coaching change. Yep. And now that deadline's July. So that can't possibly be the reason. So then we're going to fly her down to, you know, Florida, $1,300 $1,300 a day, have her participate in these meetings just to fire her, and then we're going to say that it's because of staff continuity? Staff continuity. And, and oh yeah, this is the best way to tell her so that she could tell her family and to tell her players while, you know, she's in Florida. Does it make sense? Something had to happen. An argument, something. She's quoted in the press release. That's a weird part, too. That's not normal, right? It's not normal. And how many times have you ever seen, number one, the the outgoing coach quoted in the press release about his or her firing? Only one other time. And two. Ron Rivera leaving and doing a press conference. That's the only time i ever seen that. Did he have the phrase without cause <laughs> in his quote? Yes. He did not have that. No, he did not. It's one of those things where, don't even go down the impropriety route. Nope. Don't do that. And then without cause. The without cause part and the second part that that really kind of tingle your juices, get you, get you, you know, not to be the complete conspiracy theorist, but but kind of get you thinking. Oh, we're wearing tin hats today. <laughs> uh Pete Paul Poxtelis. Uh-huh. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right because I've never had the pleasure of meeting him. Now you nailed it. Um Came to Wake Forest shortly after John Curry in 2019, and he is uh, his his official title is Council slash Senior Athletics Strategy Advisor. He is, in layman's terms, a lawyer, 
and he was at Kansas State with John Curry for all of John Curry's tenure at Kansas State. Mm-hmm. He was on the Zoom. He was on, you know, there's there's Amanda Ferguson, there's Lauren Walsh, there's Aaron Beard. Uh, Not me, I was at Village Tavern. There's Pete Fox Stelz. And it's like, you know, Danny Zoom, you're gonna you're gonna run into this. Like there were a lot more people on the Zoom for Danny. Uh for for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. It went to that second page, and how how many of us have ever clicked to the second page of the Zoom to see who else is on that Zoom? I don't remember ever seeing him on the Danny Zoom. No. And that was we you had a a journalist with whom I've quarreled come on your show two years ago and tell you that Danny was fired for cause and they were going to have a legal battle on their hands. You would think if there's a zoom for Pete Postellis to be on, it's the Danny one. Yeah, that is, I like this. This isn't even tin, tin cap stuff, but I, I thought that up as I was doing a dog walk this afternoon, figured out. I like it. I really do. That's why you're good at what you do. You're a journalist. You look up these things and you, 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 you you're very observative. I don't know. Do you like this story, Will? Does this pique your interest at all? Or are you watching Yankee game over there? It's it's definitely odd. I mean, it... And if we're taking what... Okay, let's take what he says at face value, then. Let's say it is because of staff overturned. If that's the case, then I would say, well, she deserves better than that. Yes. Like, if you're going to fire her over staff turnover, then I would say, well... The fact that she took you to the NCAA tournament a year ago and you've only been twice and she might be the most important person in the history of that program, yeah, she probably deserves better than being fired right after she just got done meeting with all the other coaches in Amelia Island. If it's because of staff turnover, then does she not get a chance to hire new staff? Like, It's it's just that, you know, all due respect to the assistants that were there. Obviously, one of them was good enough to become a head coach at a mid-major school. Yeah. But could she not have the opportunity to hire better staff? Like, since the Shaw basketball complex has been built, her recruiting has picked up. Like She's that got was, some good players. She, you know, Jewel Spear is coming back as an 18 point a game scorer and a first team All ACC player. Like, the, this, the, the cards were set for her to, you know, I know this year was a step back after you make the NCAA tournament for the first time in 30 some years, you want to build on that. And they took a step back, but they were set up for the long haul for, for a future run with Jewel Spear at the, at the spear of the, the organization there. What you did there while we're talking, uh, wake forest hoops, let's get to the men's team. They had Davion Bradford yesterday. How close to finish, do you think this Wake Forest basketball roster is right now? Because you got Atuka and Appleby at point guard to potentially replace Alondis. You've got now a seven-footer that you add alongside Matthew Marsh and Davion Bradford from K-State. And if you lose Jake LaRavia, you got a couple of guys there that can play stretch four wing type, like Andrew Carr, the transfer from Delaware, and Zach Keller, who's an incoming recruit. I think it's pretty close to being done. Um, they have a transfer, or uh, not a transfer. I'm so used to saying they have a transfer on campus that I forget there. There are still class of 22s out there to be recruited. They have a potential incoming freshman on campus right now, Bobby Clintman, who's a six eight. You know, he'd fit that wing swingman. What's up, Bobby? Mold. He's listening to the show right now. 
Um, he's taking a visit right now. I think on three came out with a story earlier this week that he's down to two schools. It's Wake and Seton Hall. So you, you on, the lesser on the, pirates, on the, as I call them, on the surface there, the lesser pirates. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, on the surface there, you've got a 50, 50 shot. And then you add in the fact that he's making this visit and then going home to his native Sweden and not taking another visit. It's usually pretty good to be to be last in line in the visits. Like you get to make the final impression, and that a commitment from him would put them at eleven scholarships dedicated for next season with two guys, you know, still on the hook with Davian and and Jake. Yeah, so it's a it's a lot different than yeah when it comes to recruiting and guys you want to visit with first or last than say like the fantasy suites and the bachelor where you probably want to go first versus going last for, for different types of reasons there. You're talking so far over my head. Yeah. I heard the bachelor and just, I wish if you got that reference, you would have really appreciated <laughs> it. What's great is, will, do you even get that reference? I, I didn't catch it. I just heard the, I just heard the bachelor and my ears perked up. There you go. See it perked up. He's never seen uh anchorman before until last until... night. So he, all the great movies, this guy has not seen them. And I, it's, saw, I saw something about that earlier this week. It's, so, it's egregious. So much to the point where we have created a show segment mm-hmm. about it. At the movies of Will Dalton. That's so right. We're going to get in 30 minutes his review of what I believe to be the godfather of comedies, Anchorman. I, I'm, I'm, as somebody who went and saw that movie in theaters with his buddies, and mm. like, what that would have been like. 2004 seventh or eighth grade maybe ninth grade for me yeah i mean you know i i still i was trying to i'd never i never found a way to to word it and put it out in a tweet but i was still trying to think of a way to work diversity is an old old wooden ship primarily used in the civil war era that's right into into a tweet this morning mm-hmm. yeah when in rome a man is a lunatic. Smells like a gym bag. The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. This had to happen because of the WD. Will Dalton, producer of this show, has not seen any movies. And I didn't realize how many movie references I make on this show on a daily basis until I looked over to the other side of the glass and saw just a blank stare looking at me about four or five times a show because Will hasn't seen any good movies. So we tried to change that. And our way of changing that is by turning this into a segment where we force Will to watch a movie every week of our choosing and then he reviews it. And I thought we'd start out red hot with what I believe to be the godfather of all comedies, Anchorman. This is At the Movies with the WD. Unless you're talking about Star Wars. Obi-Wan has taught you well. Movies aren't exactly Will's thing. I don't get it. You uncultured swine! But that's about to change because Josh can't stand it anymore. This is At The Movies with Will Dalton. We need to figure out formatting for this, but how about at the end of this, 
you give us a Rotten Tomatoes-esque score, how you would rate this movie 0 to 100. And I want you to be critical if you can. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to throw just a bunch of 90s and 100s out there. No. You give me what you feel this movie deserves, what you would grade it. What was your initial impression of Anchorman, the legend of Ron Burgundy? Well, the initial impression, to be completely honest with you, this is an all-star lineup of comedic figures, Mm -hmm. just period. I mean, you've got Will Ferrell, you've got Steve Carell, Paul Rudd, you've got David Kochner, Seth Rogen's in it as well, and others that I'm I'm probably missing. He filmed the cat show. Uh, The cat show that Veronica Corningstone got mad about. That's right. That was her first assignment. Uh, This is some great stuff. And you know what? I always like, I guess because of the field we're in, I always like a good show about like news stations or radio or something. Like people that do what we do. One day we'll do broadcast news. You'll like that movie. Fred Armisen's also in this. Is the guy who runs the the jazz club. Uh-huh. He's great from SNL. You're right. Yeah. It really is an all-star cast. Ben Stiller making an appearance. Vince Vaughn. Yes. That's right. I couldn't think of that guy's name. Vince Vaughn's in it. Um, you know, I have seen Talladega Nights. Luke and, Wilson's in it. And uh, really enjoyed Tal- Tal- Talladega Nights. And this had, like, Talladega Nights was to NASCAR what this is to, again, like, news anchoring and reporting. Okay. So, where do you want me to go next? Well, tell this us. This is new. How much did you like this movie? I loved it. Did I mean, you like it? Okay. I, I did like it. I mean, I mean, it starts out... What didn't you like about it? I don't know if I'd say this was something I didn't like, but something that wasn't realistic. Okay. A woman of Veronica's class would never go for Will Ferrell's character. I don't know, though. He's such a goofball. She but would never go for he's, that. He's the lead anchor. Fair he's enough. the guy. But, I mean, a woman like her, I mean, she's got endless options. I don't know about that, man. It's hard to get bigger than Ron Burgundy in San Diego. Fair enough. I mean, did you see the gun show? I don't know if, I you, were, I don't know if you were listening, but I, I was s- counting up to a 1,000. I saw the gun show. Uh, the Sex Panther. Might be the best scene in the history of comedy. That that was up there. My, my favorite scene... So my favorite character... Was Steve Carell. Uh, Sex Steve Carell. Panther by Odeon. It's illegal in 13 countries. Whatever yeah. it is. 69% of the time. Works every time. I'm going to be honest with you. That smells like pure gasoline. <laughs> smells like Bigfoot's. Brick Tamlin, played by Steve Carell. He was my favorite. And I don't know if this was... Maybe because I'm a big Office fan. And so I loved him in that. If, if it wasn't for this show, maybe... I actually think... Was Office after this? Or oh, during? Oh, there's no doubt that it was after this. Okay. Because this might have been it. I'm trying to remember if it was this movie or if it was 40-Year-Old Virgin that changed the writing on The Office because apparently The Office wasn't doing well in its first season and they found the Steve Carell character to be weird. Uh-huh. So they then watched like his performance and I forget if it's either Anchorman or 40 year old virgin that they saw him and he was hilarious 
and they kind of shifted the way they wrote Michael based on how he was in those other comedies. That is interesting because you you can kind of notice a shift in um, Michael Scott's character during The Office, so I, I did not know that. So what do you think, how does this movie age? If you were to throw this movie in 2022, are there aspects of it you don't think would age well? I don't know. You know, comedy and humor is a much, uh, I don't know what the word I'm, it's a different thing now. Like some people get offended by certain things. I, I think for the most part, it would age well. I think it has probably aged well. I mean, it was in 2004. Yeah. And here we are in 2022. What is the most iconic move? Iconic scene in this movie? Or what is your favorite scene in Anchorman? It, it is very difficult to not have a favorite scene of the Battle Royale when, you know, they're... Breaking news! Sewer's gone red with Burgundy's blood. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah! <laughs> uh, I like the scene where... I think my two favorites are the Battle Royale and the scene where they're back in the office after that party early in the movie where... Ron takes his first crack at Veronica. Diversity is an old, old wooden ship. And... Used in Civil War times, and the guy next to him nods. You got this moment. From Steve Carell. That's right. They attract bears. Um, and then he goes, I ate a big red candle. Like... It's a great line. I don't remember what I was doing when, when that was on. I think I was making something to eat or making a cup of coffee or something. And it just caught me so off guard when he said that, that I just... I lost it. He has so many great lines in this. There's that. And, hey, Veronica, would you like to go to the pants party? <laughs> it's anything, any other thoughts that you have on Anchorman that you would like to share before we wrap up this first segment uh, of At the Movies with the WD. When Ron, when Ron says you're, when they get in that fight in the newsroom. You're a smelly pirate hooker. <laughs> I, I say that. I don't know if I should say this on the show, but that is something I say is it to really? people. Maybe even Sarah Bradford. It's all understood to be a joke. Yeah. You smelly pirate hooker. And then yeah. she goes, your hair looks stupid, and it just breaks him. And then that's when they actually like get in a physical fight that's in the right. newsroom. By the Knights of Columbus, that hurt. It's You can watch this movie a dozen times, and there are still lines that will disarm you. Milk was a bad choice. And apparently there's a sequel. Oh, yeah. I didn't well, know that. Duh, come on. Which, I mean... I mean, come on, Will. Well, I don't... You I, should know this. I don't was, know these things. It was like a number one box office hit when they put out that sequel. And I think there was another... They, they did another Battle Royale scene in that movie. Oh, here was another scene that caught me off guard in a great way. When Jack Black Punted is the, the guy on the motorcycle. The That's how I roll, bro. And he gets hit with a burrito and then kicks Baxter, the dog, off the bridge. Yeah. It's like... He you punts heard, it. You, you heard something I love. What do you love? I love scotch. And I love my friend Baxter here. Well, this is happening, bro. That's how I roll. The flute scene was really good. Oh, yeah. Jazz flute. Make sure. Jazz flute. Get it right. How would you grade this movie 0 to 100? 
I know you said not to give any 90s and anything like that. I did not say that. I said well, the 90 has to mean something if you're going to give well, it a 90. I think because of the cast of, again, an all-star lineup of comedians, and because of how well I believe this has and will continue to age, I'm going to give it a 94%. A 94% Maybe I'm being Will. generous because I'm new at this, and, and we'll see it. But I've really, really enjoyed this movie. The audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is at 86%. All right, so maybe I was a little generous, but... That's been At the Movies with Will Dalton. Getting the basketball real quick. The Celtics are toast. Last night. They have no excuses. No more. You are facing it. You're at home. You're facing a team that's missing Chris Middleton. You're up by 14 points in the second half. And you lose that game. They collapsed. And then those final possessions that they had. So Giannis makes a first free throw down two. And then down one misses. Offensive rebound, putback make by Bobby Portis. This is with like 12 seconds left. Who do you give the ball to? Jason Tatum has 30-plus points, so you'd think to him, nope, we're going to go Marcus Smart on the baseline, and then he's going to get stuffed by Drew Holiday. That wasn't great. That leads to a couple makes at the free throw line. You still have another opportunity. Boston tries to race it into the front court, and Marcus Smart is stripped. Ending the game. Not very good. And they're not going to win the last two games. Not going back to Milwaukee and then returning back home. That made me feel good. Somebody watching Anchorman with open eyes saying, oh yeah, there was that scene with Jack Black punting the dog. Everybody knows about the scene where Jack Black punted the dog. Couldn't forget that one. What's up? What's up? What none of you wants to admit is that the kid is good. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Darren Vaughn joins us now. You know him from High Point Men's Basketball Play-By-Play, USA Baseball, Voice of USA Baseball. He joins us, and I think that's probably... A good place to start because just a few years ago, Reed Detmers was an ACC Pitcher of the Year at Louisville. Now, he is a pitcher that starts for the LA Angels a couple nights ago and throws a no-hitter in one of his first dozen appearances as a major leaguer. It's weird, Darren, and I want your thought on it, how no-hitters have been viewed differently almost sanitized a bit in the last few years when we had that great number of no-hitters last year where I think you had like six or seven, maybe eight in the first couple months of the season, almost a dozen the entire year. And the prevailing theory is because guys aren't trying to get on base with singles anymore or doubles, they're just swinging for the fences, maybe it's a lot easier to throw these no-hitters. But it's still quite a remarkable feat that Reed Detmer is able to do that. Did you have any personal interactions with Reed Detmer's at all? 
Yeah, I did. Um, to one degree or another, I get it. You know, at least a little bit with all the guys that are collegiate national team players. And, you know, it's funny going from year to year, seeing how, again, they're, they're kids, right? They're college students. Um, it varies greatly whether or not they are reserved or, or outgoing read pretty, pretty low key guy. Um, but I mean, super talented. He, he had a teammate, Bobby Miller, who's in the Dodgers organization, uh, is a, who, and is about to, to make it into the bigs with the Dodgers that was in the training camp for the collegiate national team and didn't even make the squad. Um, but I, I got to see a little bit more of an, an opened up side of Reed, I think, than we, we would have gotten otherwise. His Louisville coach, Dan McDonald, was his, his Team USA collegiate national team uh, manager. And, um, no, it's, it's just, it's cool to see any, any of these guys, right. Um, that, that, that make it to the bigs and break through. I mean, it's cool to see him start 10 major league games prior to this, much less get a no hitter in his 11th and what's maybe going to be one of the wackiest games of a, a long stretch of time, especially given the, the Anthony Rendon left-handed home run and, Brett Phillips for the the Rays pitching as a position player who's always fun to watch when he does that. Um, and it's becoming sort of a thing when they get blown out. It's like he, he likes to go in those games. But um, no, I think the most impressive thing about Reed's no hitter is the lack of strikeouts. He only had two. Yep. And I mean, that says a lot about the defense behind him on a night where Mike Trout and Shohei Otani offensively were certainly really, really good. Um, the Angels are no joke, man. They're no slouch. They're, they're a really fun team. So the Yankees are probably the pride of the American League. Either them, you could make an argument for Toronto, who isn't off to as great of a start as the Yankees are, but the Angels are in first place, and they're the talk of Major League Baseball. Uh Right now, as the front runners in the AL West, because you got those stars like Shohei and Rendon and Mike Trout, do you think they have legs? It's crazy to think that they haven't played in a postseason game in, gosh, how long? I don't even know. But do you buy it? Do you buy what they're doing to be legitimate? Yeah, I do. I was even, you know, in talking with people preseason this year, maybe a, a little hesitant because I was sort of in on them last year. Uh, and now no one could have predicted Shohei was going to do what he did. But I recall telling people, man, if we could just get 250 plate appearances out of Otani and 15 starts on the mound, I mean, it's going to be transcendent. And then he got double both of those marks, right? And has the the greatest, the most productive, the most valuable season in major league history, maybe. Um, yeah, they've got legs. I, I like what they did with their pitching staff coming into this season, the pickup of Noah Syndergaard, who was sort of, they, they took him on a flyer because he was coming off of an injury and had previously had all that success with the Mets. Um, they're a good, they're a good team. And obviously when, things are going the way that they typically go for the stars. They're even better than good. Um, I, they're a playoff team for sure. I, who knows after that, because you know, it's kind of a crapshoot with baseball anyway. Um, but hope, hopefully they get on a nice little run toward the end of the season. And they are one of those teams that's, 
that's playing particularly well late. Let's play unusual questions with Darren Vott. Send them in at WSJS Sports, 336-777-1600. Last week, guys, everybody made it out that I got mad at Josh and I left the press conference. That's not right. I thought it was an unusual question, and it's okay. It's time for Unusual Questions with Josh Graham. And this is a lesson in phrasing, boys and girls, because a couple days ago, Earlier in the week, I said I wanted an N64 to play with my groomsmen on my wedding day. And a listener heard that, and the day later brings one into our studio. So now we have an N64 in our studio. A couple controllers still need to acquire a couple games of note. More on that in a second. The lesson in phrasing is this. I was in studio and quickly threw up a picture with the caption right before I went on air and the way I phrased it was Darren the one thing I asked for on my wedding day was an <laughs> N64 and that a reasonable fair question was asked by one Sarah Bradford maybe you got married in the studio today by family when you got home <laughs> members too um, that's the only thing you want on your wedding day is oh, it N64? <laughs> that's that's what you want. You, you want an N64. That's the I only thing. E- I was, that's the Josh, one thing. I, was, <laughs> I wasn't even going that direction. I thought it was in the way that you said it. Because the way you said it, it could have been interpreted that it was your wedding day when you asked the question. So oh. I, thought you got home. I thought you got home and Sarah Bradford was like, wait, who did you marry at the studio today? No, it's... Probably you should frame that better. And she's like, let's not have that in the groom's quarters. Just don't want like a bunch of dudes hanging out in the place that I'm supposed to be sleeping the night. Which sounds about right. So, yeah. There you go. Here's the question I have though What is the greatest N64 game of all time? Ooh. I mean, Mario Kart 64 is in the conversation. It kind of depends. Like the, the Nintendo 64 I'm is asking when we... you doesn't depend. It's no, I mean, I'm, I'm Darren saying Bot. what's the best game. It's sort of the delineation. It marked the start of the delineation between like good adventure story-based games. So I, I would probably say that super Mario 64 is the greatest game, but it's like, it's one of the best video games ever, but See? for a, for sort of a party setting, you know, Mario Kart's great. GoldenEye was great. They're up there. Mario Party's pretty good in that sense, too. So, I think we're in agreement, then. It's got to be a game with Mario in it. Like, with respect to GoldenEye and Legend of Zelda, it's got to be one of the Super Mario, Mario Party, Super Smash Bros., Mario Kart. One of those choices. And for me... I went with where Darren's head went first. I think Mario Kart is the best in 64 game of all time. I think that's fair. Again, it's your, it's a matter of preference when you pick between the two to me. Um, a Smash Brothers is great, although I thought it got better as the, the consoles evolved. Like the Smash Brothers game that came out for the Nintendo GameCube, Elite. 
fantastic game. That was a great game. What's your unusual question, Will? What's an odd food combination you like? Give us an example. Um, One for you, because you have a strange palate. <laughs> so I don't do it anymore, but when I was younger, I used to enjoy dipping Wendy's fries in my Frosty. Yeah, in the Frosty. That's not that strange. A lot of people do that. Or, like, you know that viral video where the girl uh, dips her chicken tender in the drink? At the Knicks game, have you seen that one? I haven't. Darren, you know what I'm well, talking about, right? Well, there's one. There's one from a Yankees game, if I'm not mistaken, that recently has gone viral. A dude takes a plain hot dog in a yeah. bun and dips it into his beer before taking a bite out. Of it. Yeah, so like that. So you enjoy that? It's a nice little combo. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. When I was a kid, I used to eat mustard sandwiches. Dude, me too. Me wow. too. We just bonded. Wow. So much more after that. It's pretty impressive. Two pieces <laughs> of bread and some mustard. That's it? That's true. Yeah. Mustard and bread. Mustard and bread. God. But then I turned 10. <laughs> and There's... I no longer ate those. What? Why, though? Like w- w- There were so many know. other things I, you could have put I on was, the sandwich. I was like a kid. I was six. I was seven, eight years old. Apparently nine. The... <laughs> Do we have to explain when we were young the type of I, foods that we used to eat? I mean, not always. I was just curious as to what seven-year-old Josh's thought process was as to, like, why not put some ham on it? It's or- pretty simple. Just, you know, all I need is mustard and bread. That's I can't it. believe somebody else in the universe did this, not just me. I did it. I thought I was mustard the only sandwiches. oddball out there no. that did that. I've got, I've got a cautionary tale for uh, youngsters who may be listening and thinking about trying their own types of sandwiches. Um, Mustard sandwiches, go for it. I was a kid, of course, probably around the same age, Mm -hmm. and I thought to myself one day, I really like peanut butter. I really like cheese. I like sandwiches that feature each separate from one another. Wonder what it would be like to have a peanut butter and cheese sandwich. Oh Lord! And how was that? It was the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to me. Yeah, that sounds pretty bad. I'm trying to think. There have to be some things that I eat still that people might find strange. I put onion straws on my salad. Is that weird? You mean like? You mean like fried onions? Like what you would put on top of a like you like can a buy casserole? Yeah, 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 yeah. I put those on yeah, top yeah. of my salads. Gives a little texture. Yeah. I actually that's that might be revolutionary. Uh-huh. I'm not I, I like the texture that a crouton provides, but I I've never really met a crouton that improved the taste. Yeah, onion straws, they do the job if you're making yourself like a an Italian dresser. Get like the Italian like the Olive Garden Italian dressing with some cheddar, with some like cheddar type cheese, more like pepper jack shredded cheese, and then put the onion straws on top. You know a weird one I still do to this day? What's I don't, that? I don't eat a lot of subs just because I don't eat a lot of bread. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times when I'll go to a Jimmy John's and get a sub, I usually get salt and vinegar kettle chips or some type of kettle chips. Well, that's all they have. 
Yes, but I like kettle chips. Uh, and what I'll like do is I'll put the chips. Darren might have seen me do this before one time in the past. I'll put the chips on the sandwich, and I'll like time. I'll crush them, and like it just. I don't know. It's I, good. I, do that, I do that all the time. I don't know how odd that is. I put the Lay's potato chip in my sub. I do that. 100%. That was a. Um, I don't know when that got popular. It was introduced to me by like an uncle in the like I was a kid and it teach you a lesson of life son. Time. yeah it seemed revolutionary at the time and he was like you want to you want to amp up the flavor of this bad boy this little, little turkey and cheese joint you got going on throw some cool ranch doritos on it <laughs> what is your unusual question darren all right let me give you guys a scenario here I'm putting you into a scenario you get to wipe away one song from existence. It wow. never existed. Wow. I Which like song this. do you choose? I like this. We're eliminating a song. Wipe it out. And you, this you could will be interpreted. Remember me for centuries. No, not that song. <laughs> I'm going to go bigger than that. You, it has to be something truly iconic because you want something that has reach that you want completely out of the lexicon this is totally tough. out this is tough there there are also ways to justify it so that I, I don't know that it is involved in my choice but you could play the butterfly effect you know it's like okay if this song never happens it's something that it's associated with doesn't I happen see. in the same manner i you see know? i understand What's your answer to the question? Mine is Closer by the Chainsmokers. <laughs> yeah, because that, if that song makes happen. me want to. It makes me want to destroy things. Like, you know, Silver Linings Playbook, the scene where Bradley Cooper is in to see his therapist and they, they play the, the triggering song in the, in the waiting room oh, yeah. just to see how he'll react. That's me. That's me when when closer by the chain smokers comes on. I just like lose it. I destroy. Mm. No, I mean in my head I do. I, I've never actually destroyed anything physically, but I want to. Wow, this is really tough because I'm wrestling with a handful of things in my head. Like, I think I'm trying to think what ruined, what got us down the path of country rock. And what song I could take away of popularity that might have taken away that fad, which took me away from liking country mu music for the better part of like a half dozen years. But I don't know. I don't Maybe know. Maybe Florida, Florida Georgia Line? Please. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. There's your answer. Florida <laughs> Georgia Line. Baby, you're a song. You make me want to do your well, That's a good one. Well, of course, that's one of the ones that I makes, like. That makes me feel a lot better about <laughs> my choice here. The guy who hasn't seen Anchorman until we forced him to last night. I talked to somebody earlier today, and that's this topic came up. Cruise. They, that's the name of the chose, song. They chose Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Mm. I get that it's overdone, but man, that was a wild choice to me. That is wild. Uh,. So, yeah, I'm just going to get rid of Florida Georgia Line's 2012 <laughs> album. 
because we need to get rid of this is how we roll and we need to get rid of Cruise. They both need to go. Two that I, I thought they like. were the same song. <laughs> Will, we, we need to improve your music taste, my buddy. Like right now we're it working bad. It's really bad. No, it is not. It's terrible. I will take that like, to the grave. You you're if you're saying proudly in a sentence, one of the few country bands I like is Florida Georgia Line. It's not good. Well, that doesn't represent my entire plethora. Darren knows this. I got I got a wide plethora of musical yeah, and I, and like I, you do. Like I Josh, I sort of agree I, I do agree with the stadiumification of country music, we'll call it. And sure. and Florida Georgia Lions culpability in that. But dude, I'll be damned if I don't bob my head when when that song comes on, Cruise. Like I don't. It's a it's catchy. It's got the earworm. I mean, it's doing the trick. They get Nelly in there sometimes. <laughs> this one's weird. <laughs> Kyle. Kyle writes in and says, Raise Up by Petey Pablo has to go at this point. Every time a Stop. national TV anything happens in North Carolina, they use it. Plus, it's 2022. Nobody has anything better? Yeah, we do. It's called Wagon Wheel. I would actually, I would almost choose Darius Rucker's version of Wagon Wheel. No. Oh, oh, you know what? That That's the best answer to the question. Well, because the, popu- the, the, the popularity of the song stays, Boom. right? Yep. But Old Crow gets the shine. That's right, and they should. Instead. That's it. That's the answer to the question. It's an unusual question, but there's the right answer. We need to get rid of Darius Rucker's version of Wagon Wheel. Done deal. Darren Bott. Appreciate the time, my friend. Uh, a blast, as always.